campus, there's a fundraiser lunch uh, for our mission partners in Nicaragua. Uh, we have a couple of people going in March, and so if you would like to stay and eat, um, there's going to be food available in the fellowship hall, donations accepted. All donations will go towards um, their mission trip to Nicaragua. Also happening today, um, tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a Super Bowl watch party, um, the first half of the Super Bowl. So if you would like to come and watch the first half with us, it's going to be in the student uh, building. Everyone's invited to that. I know for a fact we're going to have pizza and wings um, and drinks. If you would bring some type of something to go with that, some kind of dip or side or chips or whatever you might like to eat for the Super Bowl, um, you are welcome to, to join us tonight at 6 o'clock. A couple other events that we have coming up. One is Galentine's. That's for our students who are uh, girls. That is Friday, February 16th. So this coming Friday at 6 o'clock, there's a sign-up sheet in the welcome area. Um, if you have any questions about that, you can see Emily, and she will let you know more details on that. And then D-NOW is happening March 22nd through the 24th. That is a discipleship weekend for our students. Uh, they stay in host homes. We go do worship services uh, with other churches in the area at Rootful Road. Um, it's a really one of my favorite weekends of the year. And sign-ups for that is $35 per student, and sign-ups th for that are th actually through Rootful Road this year. So I will give you, if you, if you come see me, I will give you uh, the way to sign up for that. If you have any questions, please see me. Uh, but the sign-up for that does end um, to, to guarantee a shirt, it ends March 1st. And so sign up earlier, the better. Um, and then lastly, um, I want to let you know that the last, oops, the last uh, Sunday of this month, February the 25th, we're going to have a second parent partnership luncheon. Uh, this is an opportunity for parents and guardians of kids and students in our church to come together and talk about what it means to parent biblically, uh, what it means to parent as Christians. Um, and so what we're going to actually do is we're going to go through a, a series of sermons by Paul David Tripp where he talks about parenting um, and what it means to parent as a Christian. We're going to provide lunch. There is a, your, it's available for you to have your kids um, with child care afterwards. But I wanted to show a quick video kind of showing you what we're going to learn through that. This will be the first of four times we're going to do this throughout the year. Uh, but we're going to show a short video um, with Paul David Tripp speaking about what we're going to learn at the Parent Partnership uh, Luncheon. And there's a sign-up for that in the back as well. After the video, uh, Kyle Kane's going to come read our call to worship. Few people in the world have thought about parenting the way we're going to talk about it. Some of you just want, give me three keys to get my daughter to eat her vegetables. Give me seven things I can do to help my teenager dress like he's from Earth. And if you've come for that, you're probably going to be disappointed, but let me say this to you. What the Bible gives us is something tremendously better. Parenting is a mission of mercy. When someone asks us for directions, what do you immediately do? Your heart opens up, you feel bad for them, and you try to give them direction. That's parenting. Parents, you have to parent the condition. You can't just parent the symptoms of the condition, the results of the condition, it'll never work. There's never a moment where your children aren't looking at creation. That means there's never a moment where they're not seeing the glory of God. The problem is they don't know it. That's our job. 
you are God's first responders. God didn't call you to be a parent because you're independently able. He called you to be a parent because he's able. He takes human weakness and does amazing things through weak and broken people. Don't think you're wasting your time. Every conversation is God-honoring. Good morning, y'all. Good to see all of y'all here. Today we're going to be reading from uh, Psalms 107, verses 23 through 32. It says, Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke, and he stirred up a tempest that lifted high waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down into the depths, into the pearl. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He distilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to the desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. As I, I read that, I, it spoke to me as, you know, the human condition. You know, that we're just, we're just helpless without God. And that we all get into these storms in life. Some of it's our own fault, you know, sin. And some of it's God cause. But, but we won't look up to him until we're at our wit's end. Until we've tried everything else. Then we ask him. And um, we should have asked him to start with. But let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness and love and, and mercy and compassion for us. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship. And I thank you most for Jesus, what he did for the cross, that he paid for our sins in full. And that I'm free as a bird today, God, for what you've done for me and for how much you love me. And I pray that we would uh, sing songs to you and that you'd be with us and we would worship you in spirit and truth. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin worship with singing Just a Closer Walk.
you'll stay and we're going to worship together one more time. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning, God. Lord, um, this week as um, the world celebrates Valentine's Day, God, Lord, I, I just hope and pray that we're reminded, God, of the greatest love of all, um, which is from you, God. Lord, a love so great that you gave your only son to die for us. Um, and a Lord that loves us so great that he rose three days later so that the Holy Spirit can can just remain among us, God, for those who have truly accepted and believed the gift of salvation, God. Lord, I pray this week that you'll give us opportunities to love those around us, God, because um, you tell us that love is the greatest commandment of all, God. And Lord, I thank you for being faithful in every situation, and I thank you for being with us when we are um, tired and weak, God, that we just have to take a little walk with you, Lord. God, I just um, pray that you be with us as we look at this fifth sign this morning, God, and that you'll continue to show us um, just your wonder and, and miraculous miracles, God. And Lord, if, if you could do it then, you can do it now, God, and you just love us immensely. And I pray that we leave this morning feeling that love so that we can show it uh, um, better to others, God. Lord, be with our children as they go to Children's Church, um, and be with our nursery workers, and be with Pastor Nell as he comes to give your message. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And children are dismissed for Children's Church for Miss Vaughn in the back. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Hey, turn to John chapter 6. 
as our children and volunteers leave. The fourth and fifth sign in John's Gospel are back to back. So there is a connection between the feeding of the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000, and the miracle of Jesus walking on water and calming the sea. So we are to be thinking about how all these signs connect and where these signs are leading to in our relationship with God and other people. Ultimately, uh, as Kyle said earlier, what a wonderful brief description of Psalm 107. Casting ourselves in our helplessness on God's mercy. Now last week we learned that if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give away your life, if you lose your life, for His sake you will keep it. And God will multiply. If you give what He's given to you, God will multiply that and grow that in, in amazing ways. So the feeding of the multitudes is, is in the background here as we approach uh, this next sign in John chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 15. But before I do... I'm grateful to the Heard County Chamber of Commerce in their 57th year of existence, which was shocking to me. Heard County's had a Chamber of Commerce for 57 years. That's pretty good. But anyway, we have a volunteer among us who was recognized as Volunteer of the Year, Mr. Durell Langley. Durell, we love you. Yeah. Um, you talk about... Yes, sir. He's about to make a speech. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Durell, not only for what you do here, but in our community for veterans and a lot of other people. And, and I highlight that because he's a great example of using what God has blessed you with to feed and minister to other people. And uh, Amen. And, and God will multiply it. You know, the, the disciples, when they were done giving away, there's a reason why Jesus had them pick up the fragments and the leftovers, and they gathered 12 baskets full. I would venture to say that if Durell were to stand up here to, today, uh, he would say his life is full. Uh, God has blessed him with uh, wisdom and people skills and organization. And so, to all the other volunteers who work not only in the food pantry, but to all of our ministries, th those are multiplying ministries, and God is good, and God is gracious, and God will use what we give away to Him in ways that we could never imagine. So, uh, if you want a living illustration of what, uh, how to put into practice uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the multitudes, for the physical and the spiritual, um, the people of Heard County recognize one among us uh, in, in my lifelong friend, Durell Langley, and I'm, I'm grateful for him. So, with that said, let's move to verse 15, which is where we ended last week. And I'm going to read, I, I really would encourage you as a believer and follower of Jesus, read John chapter 6. Man, there is so much here. There is no way... That, that I can exhaust a lot this year. It, it's so overwhelming. So I'm going to touch and highlight on some things to draw out, but the deeper meaning, the spiritual meaning, living here in a material world, physical world, by design, 
there are deeper, higher, more important truths that you and I must grasp if we are to uh, feast upon the bread that God makes available to us. So I hope I make some of this clear, not only in the reading, but also in the, uh, in the message itself. So look at verse 15. So he's just fed thousands. And they're locked in on this idea. Good grief, if this guy can do this, then we need to make him king. He can solve our problems now. He can, he can liberate us from Rome and the trouble that we're having in this life. So Jesus, in verse 15, therefore perceiving that they were intending to, to come and to take him by force. You know, let's start a revolution here. Take him by force, make him king. Look at what he does. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Mark tells us in his gospel that Jesus did this in order to go to the mountain and pray to be with his father. Notice what happens next, verse 16. So now evening came, it's getting dark, it's getting late. His disciples went down to the sea. Another important detail here is that Jesus told them to go into the boat, into the sea. Uh, one of the Gospels says he compelled them to go. So after the feeding of the multitudes, where Jesus goes to the mountain, he sends his disciples down to the sea. So right off the bat, I want to say that none of this is accidental. Every move here that Jesus makes is crucial. It's intentional. Um, this is the ultimate chess player. Stratego. <laughs> if, you, if you don't play chess, but you're familiar with Stratego. Every, hey, every move in this passage counts, okay? And Matthew and Mark add some details that I may put into John as we go through this, just so you'll get the full picture. So after getting into a boat, they started across the sea to Capernaum. Well, it had already become dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. Well, the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, which is not all the way, okay? Which is a little over halfway, if my studies are correct. So they've gone three or four miles. Well, then they beheld Jesus walking on the sea. There's your sermon title right there, Christ above all. Who can walk on water? In the midst of a storm. Then he began drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. They were terrified. Now, I want to emphasize also that Matthew and Mark point out that at first they thought this was a ghost. So, not only do I have like the winds and the waves and the storm, but in the midst of that fear, I'm misinterpreting. What God, what God is doing and, and, and who this is. So 
I've got all these physical, natural elements that are coming in, and we're exhausted, and we're rowing, and we're not getting where we're supposed to go, and we're not getting very far. And then we see a ghost, right? That's not a very comforting addition to the storm that you're already in. Here it is. You can tell I'm trying to find my place. That's what I get for preaching in the midst of reading the text. So he says to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. It's me. I am. Stop being afraid. Stop being terrified. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. Some of the versions explain a little better the emotion there. They joyfully, they, they gladly took him in. We need him badly, so they receive him gladly. That's the thought. And then there's another miracle here, and if you're not reading carefully, you'll miss it. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Not only does he calm the sea, but when he gets in, they immediately reach their destination. There is a divine intervention once Christ gets into the boat. He doesn't just calm the storm, but they get to their destiny. Uh, the, the Psalm 107 that Kyle read says they, they reached their haven. They reached the port. They reached a safe harbor. Well, I'm going to keep reading because Jesus then, the rest of the chapter, explains the meaning behind the feeding of the multitudes and the miracle of calming the sea. So as I said last week, Jesus has the sermon already on what we are to get out of these two signs. So the next day, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples. Where did Jesus go? So his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats, and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're just here again because you're hungry again. You're caught up in the hype. You like the physical food, don't we all? And for you, it's like a new restaurant has opened in town, and everybody's going there because that's the place to go. And not only that, but they got some really good deals. They're giving food away. That's the only reason Jesus says, you're following me. So get this. Then he says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, Notice the difference between our works and his gift. Our works and his grace. He will give to you on whom the Father has set, even God has set his his seal. 
his seal. They said therefore to him, Well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe. Do you believe in him whom he has sent? So the first thing you've got to do is give up and stop working and cast yourself on the mercy and the grace of God. Faith, trust, surrender. They still don't get it, so they said therefore to him, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) He's already done enough signs to get it. What's going on here? So verse 31. Our fathers ate, and here's the tie-in to the Exodus, Moses, the Old Testament. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness... As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Well, Jesus has already given bread out of heaven to eat through the feeding of the 5,000, but in a greater way. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which... Here it is. Look, y'all, the gospel, he comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They therefore said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Well, Jesus said to them, and here's the first, foreshadowed earlier in the text, of the great I am statements of John. Ego me, I am. I am the bread of life. He's saying, He is the sign. He is the bread. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. We'll stop there. Father, thank you for loving us, seeing us in our desperate situation, and sending your Son to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial atoning death. He raised him up on the third day and he truly is bread. He is water. He is food. He is life. I pray that we would surrender ourselves in repentance and faith upon Jesus as the Son of God and that we would continually be sustained by the words of God, the words of Christ. And that ultimately, in a, in a world filled with storms and frightening things, that we would lean upon Christ, trust in Christ, feed upon Christ. And rather than be afraid, have our security and our seal in you and in your Son Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Or as I said earlier, there's a lot here, but what I really want to do today, besides explain a lot of the theology that's... Uh, this wrapped around this story, I want to give us some reasons to stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Now, all of us have fears. We have anxieties. We have things that we worry about. We have things that happen. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was a lot like the weather in Georgia. If you don't like the weather here today, just hang on. Tomorrow, it'll be very different. I mean, really, a few weeks ago we were freezing cold and then there's pouring rain 
And then it seems like spring has finally sprung, and, and here we are back again, and, and it's raining again. And the weather affects us in ways that we don't even realize. That was life on the Sea of Galilee, and this life for you and me. I heard a pastor say one time that life is full of storms. It's just the reality and the nature of living as fallen people in a fallen, broken world. And here's the deal. We are either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to enter a storm. That's the reality of life in a fallen, broken, needy world. So this story, this sign can be used to teach and preach and encourage in a lot of different ways. But I just want to zero in kind of on what Jesus says to the disciples as they were in that boat. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Fear is dangerous. People make bad, bad choices when they're mad or scared or stressed. All right? Disney had it right in that one. If you watch the Super Bowl tonight and you watch the quarterback play, if a quarterback's pocket begins to break down and he starts to become rushed or hurried and he loses his poise, he can very quickly make some really bad decisions. Some game-changing decisions. So his job is to trust in his protection, to, to maintain poise in the pocket, or to borrow from our text, peace in the midst of the storm. Well, how do we do that? I think what I want to do is I want us to see what Jesus is doing in the storm. Before, during, and after. How is Jesus operating in relationship to this storm and to the storm the disciples find themselves in during this fifth sign? We like to say, what, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, one of the things we've got to study from the Bible is we've got to look at what Jesus did do. How did he operate? What was he thinking? All right, so I'm going to give you Seven, do not be afraid, seven. Seven God-sized, Christ-centered reasons to stop living fearfully. And I won't go into why living fearfully is, is dangerous, is tempting, it's toxic, it's spiritually unhealthy, because the opposite of fear is what? Faith, <laughs> trust. All right, so the first thing I want you to see that Jesus is doing in the midst of storms is that Jesus is planning. Jesus is planning. He has a plan. As I said earlier, there is no move wasted in this particular setting and in this demonstration. What sold me on this idea was that everything that God did with his people in the exodus with Moses as their leader. They come to dry places. They come to detours. They come to dead ends. But through it all, if you study Deuteronomy and you study the book of Exodus, God had a role and a reason for every difficult situation they were in. He was testing them. He was humbling them. He was teaching them. 
He was changing them. Everything they went through in the first exodus was planned and ordained by God for the ultimate good of his people and for his ultimate glory. Now, if you study the Gospels, Jesus is the new Moses leading us to a better exodus. I'm not going to go into the background of all this, but what sold me on the idea that this is intentional, this is planned, this is not accidental, every move here matters, was the text that Kyle read from Psalm 107. It was a foretelling of this particular moment in the lives of the disciples. Go home and study it and read it for yourselves. It sounds as if God had planned it in in the past and then worked it out in the present as Jesus intentionally goes up to the mountain and he intentionally sends his disciples away from the multitudes and away from him and onto a dangerous sea without him. So when you are tempted to be afraid, remember not only this sign, but the bigger story overarching this sign, and know that God is planning here. I know it feels like that we're in this weather, that who in the world can control the weather, and and who controls what happens day to day? And, And why is all this happening? I want you to go to the Gospels, and I want you to know in your heart of hearts that that through it all and through it all, Jesus is planning something. He's always planning. In fact, he ultimately has his plan in mind throughout the Gospels, which is the hour, the hour. There is not a single second, not a single day, not a single moment that ever happens in our lives that is apart from the sovereignty of and the planning of Almighty God. I will not be afraid. Why? Because I know Jesus is planning. He's strategizing. You think those coaches tonight don't have a plan? They better have a plan. And all week long, they're planning their responses to what the enemy is doing. But I digress. Number two, that whole thing, this whole scene, this whole story, it it, it was planned and it was intentional, okay? Number two, Jesus is praying. (laughs) I'm glad Mark tells us because we might think Jesus went up to the mountain to escape everything. No! He goes up to the mountain for many reasons, and it's all the reasons that we pray, he prayed, for intimacy with the Father to separate himself from the force of the masses of the world who can only think about the physical and the now. He's going up, away from the multitudes, to be alone with his Father. We could say he's recharging, he's refocusing, he's listening. Because what did he tell his disciples? I'm telling you everything the Father's telling me. Well, how did he know what the Father was telling him? He withdrew alone with God in the midst of crises. He withdrew alone with God in the midst of the daily grind. 
they should not be afraid, though they are naturally and rightfully afraid, because Jesus is interceding for them as their great high priest before the Father. Christ is still praying for you. Christ is still praying for me. Christ is still my great high priest. And I'm so grateful that my sustaining and my salvation is not based on my prayer life, but ultimately it is based and founded on the praying, interceding, priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. The whole book of Hebrews is telling us, therefore we approach the throne of grace with confidence because we still have a high priest who knows us and he's praying for us. John chapter 17, read that. That's what Jesus prayed for them. And in that prayer, he says he is still praying and interceding for us. He did it then, he intercedes now. So, yeah, there's storms. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of unpredictability. Yeah, there are things outside of my control. But I've got one who knows the Father. He's one with the Father. He's representing and interceding for me before the Father. He alone, He alone can do the work that you and I need done. And that's why He's totally separate up above, interceding on our behalf. But then notice what happens. He waits, all right? The third point I want to make is do not be afraid. Stop living fearfully. He's planning. He's praying. Or three, he's patient. You know what it's like to look at your watch and you're waiting on somebody to come who's going to help you, who's going to intervene for you. What are they waiting on? What are they doing? Jesus is patient. He is waiting intentionally because he desires for them to come to the end of themselves, to realize what a dark, stormy, scary place this is, especially without him. Why does Jesus wait? Why does he hesitate to come down? Because there are some things that they still need to learn. Yes, they are where they are supposed to be, but Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows where they are. Though they are where they are supposed to be, they are not yet what they are supposed to be. And only waiting, only being introduced to themselves as the needy, helpless, desperate, working to no end, spinning their wheels, things getting worse, going nowhere fast. He waits so that they will see who they are apart from him and then so that they will gladly receive the help that he comes to give when he finally does come down. Don't get angry. Don't get resentful. Don't fret. It only leads to wrongdoing. If you find yourself in a situation where you are being forced to wait on God. And the reason I say that is if, if, if God were not a patient God, if He were not a waiting God, if He were not a forbearing and long-suffering God, you and I would have no hope of salvation. In fact, Peter says this in his letter, regard the patience of the Lord to be your salvation. So he's patient, and at times that causes us discomfort, and at times that may cause us fear, but be grateful for his patience because without it, 
we would have all been done away with a really long time ago. So you see what you do with the patience of God? You're actually grateful for it because it's your salvation. And then you're trusting in it because He knows just the right time to show up and intervene. I'm not going to be afraid. He's planning. He's praying. He's patient. He's also present. Here's the good news of the gospel. He doesn't stay on the mountain just as he didn't stay in heaven, but he enters into the human condition. He comes down from the mountain and enters into the storm. That's the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I will not be afraid because he is with us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. When he gave the great commission, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us. Now, their fear and their anxiety caused them to, to misinterpret, at first, his presence and his work. But let's just remember that though he is patient, he shows up. He's with them. Let's move on to the next one. He's powerful. Man, the ultimate point of this story is not God will help you through the storms of life, but that Jesus himself is God. He is God. He has divine, supernatural, sovereign power, and his power goes to work in an amazing way here. In contrast to these fearful, terrified, misdiagnosing disciples... Jesus just calmly walks on the water. And we've said about other people, man, they, they think he hung the moon. <laughs> or we may say about other people, they think they can walk on water. Here is one who really did hang the moon. Here's one who really did walk on water. With just his words and his presence, he calms the sea, and he declares himself to be co-equal and co-eternal with God, very God of very God. He says, I am. Now, whether or not this is one of the I am statements of John is up for debate. Whether or not this foreshadows and anticipates the I am statements of John, is, is, there's no doubt. Because in this particular moment, he is claiming to be and is demonstrating that he's the self-existent one. In contrast to them, exhausted, tired, not getting where they need to go, the whole thing's causing them to collapse emotionally and physically and probably arguing with them. You're not rowing hard enough. No, you're not rowing hard enough. Can you imagine the discussions that they were having on this boat on the Sea of Galilee. We're getting nowhere fast. What, what are y'all doing? Man, here comes God. And all they need is a miracle. And he provides it in the greatest of ways. I find it interesting that there was an earlier episode in their lives where Jesus had already done something like this. In fact, they were more afraid of a storm, more afraid of him than the storm. 
And they said, who is this who controls the wind and the sea? Yeah, the, the storm is terrifying, but it's more terrifying to be in a boat with God. But why don't they get it yet? Mark 6 says this, they had not yet gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. They had not yet gained insight from the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hardened. Let's not be too hard on the disciples for their lack of insight and for their stubbornness. How many times has God had to tell me? How many times has God had to show you? Uh, these signs are progressive. They're increasing. And, and it takes the grace of God, the revelation of God, the, the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit and of God for them, for them to grasp fully. And to be honest with you, He's waiting until the end when they finally see the risen Jesus. So boom, the ultimate surprise is there. He is risen. But the point for you and me in our times of fear is to remember that greater is he who is in you than he's that's in the world. That he truly is powerful enough to speak, peace be still, and the peace is stilled. The storm is stilled. They get immediately where they're needing to go. It's the work of God. It's the grace of God. It's the miracle and the, uh, the power of God in the life of Christ, into the lives of the disciples. He's powerful. He's God. Number six, I will not be afraid because he's powerful, but I also will not be afraid because he is passionate. What he says later in John chapter 6 is, is the Son of God is the bread of life, and he is going to give his flesh as the bread of life, and he is going to give his blood as, as the, the water of life, so to speak, that will save us in the ultimate storm. I don't know about you, and I don't have a chapter and verse for this, but I've used bread a lot in my life to absorb things. Or to put it on the breakfast table to soak it up. <laughs> or rather, to sop it up. Maybe we should say that. So this is an illustration, not a theological truth, but it's a theological truth in that Jesus as the bread of life is broken in order to absorb the wrath of God that is the ultimate storm that we face. So the rest of this chapter kind of pulls back and says, yeah, he feeds us, yeah, he's with us through the storms of life, but did you know that the storms of life that you and I face... The, the, the calls from doctors, the, the troubles with, with family, the physical things that happen, all the storms, and you know what they are because you, you've lived them. Those storms exist. The difficulties of life exist because there's an ultimate storm that is coming that is the storm of God's judgment and the storm of God's wrath. The storms that we go through are foreshadowing the ultimate storm. Jonah was in this, where because of his running and disobedience, he was thrown into the sea. And the sea was angry, and the sea was vicious. But the sea was calmed 
when Jonah surrendered and God rescued him from death and judgment by sending a great fish. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talked about a storm and builders in a storm. And one man built his house upon the rock. The other man built his house upon sand. I could show you that throughout Scripture, the idea of a storm is of the ultimate storm that is coming in the future that is death and judgment and eternity and wrath. That's why Jesus wouldn't be an earthly king. Because his passion, his hour, was to be the Lamb of God who as the bread of God would absorb the wrath of God and the guilt and the penalty that was due you and me. So I'll stop being afraid because the definition of his passion is the atonement the substitutionary, propitiatory sacrifice of God's Son on my behalf. That's love. That's the cross. That's the passion. If you read the rest of John chapter 6, that's when everybody says, okay, I'm out. That's when Jesus begins to lose a lot of his followers. He starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Think communion. Think sacrifice, think atonement, think guilt and penalty. Nobody wants to talk about that. Now they'll come to you all day long and say, hey, I'm having trouble in my marriage, or hey, I'm in trouble at school, or we're having trouble with this or that. I've got, I'm going through all these storms. Yes, God is there for that. But the ultimate storm that we will face is how in the world are sinners like you and me going to stand before God? How? That's a storm. His passion his love, his sacrifice. Paul went to the Corinthians, man, they had more mess going on than, than, than most people we know. And he said, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the passion of God for guilty, fallen sinners who deserve judgment in hell for all of eternity. And here's the bread of life broken so that we might live. That's, that's love. Last of all, and, and then I'm going to tie it all together. Oh, he's perfect. <laughs> he is absolutely perfect. Everything about Jesus is perfect. Holy, holy, holy. He's perfect in love. He's perfect in purity. He's perfect in every way. So I won't be afraid. There's an interesting phrase that I kind of got distracted by and locked in on at the end of this. Did you see it? On him the Father has set his seal. What does that mean? Well, you know what a seal of approval is. Some of you have dealt with legal documents that have seals on them. It means certainty, approval, legitimacy, ownership, security, confidence. I'm going to give up rowing, and I'm going to give up working, because you know where my rowing and your working gets us as we work ourselves to the bone and the grind day after day working for food that perishes? 
He says, no. Work for the bread that endures to eternal life. They say, where do we go? He says, believe on the Son because on Him the Father has set His seal. And so what Paul later says is that those who trust in Christ become sealed in Christ, approved, welcomed, secure, confident. We are counted righteous and perfect because Jesus is counted and is righteous and perfect. And so what my, what my confidence and security is, is banking on today is not how well I pray. It's not how well I preach. It's not how many good works I do or how many people I visit in the hospital. Ultimately, I will not be afraid because the Father has set the Son and His seal on the Son. And if I'm in Christ, I'm loved as Jesus is loved. I'm as righteous as Jesus is righteous. We are sealed in Christ, then he says, with the Holy Spirit. The other helper we have that we're not even talking about much this morning. So if you add all this up, and by faith trust it, and knowing that it's not about your faith, it's about the object of your faith, okay? If you look at all these things, I should say to myself, I, okay, I'm not, look, I've, I've got reason to be afraid, but then I'm going to faith my way through it, talk my way through it, and, and I'm not going to be afraid because Jesus is here, it is for me on the screen. He's planning for me, he's praying for me, he's patient for me, he's present with me, he's powerful for me, he, he's passionate for me, he's perfect for me. No wonder they received him gladly. And they didn't even get it all at that moment. All this adds up to what is called ultimate utter security. You're sealed in him, the one who broke the seal, the Romans put on that tomb to seal it. And you're absolutely secure. Stop living fearfully. We moved to my grandmother's house. We inherited a cat. What the cat didn't know that we know is we also brought with us two dogs. <laughs> we had a scene the other night. The cat that was there before us and the dogs got inside the dog's fence, pen. My wife's car parked in the pavement outside the garage. Uh, John Paul Aubrey and, and I were moving in, or we moving a mattress, so many stuff I've, I've lost count. I don't, I don't know whether I'm going or coming with the moving. And during the chaos of us moving that mattress, I watched the scene unfold. The cats on top of my wife's car our dog Ringo is creating a storm all around it. He's barking. He's jumping. He's scratching her car. Yes, that's another issue. And CJ the cat, cool as a cucumber. Not moving a muscle. Just confident. And calm and looking down at that dog like, you idiot. <laughs> CJ in that moment 
was really untouchable. There's nothing that Ringo, certainly not Caper, could do to get up there. He's, he's above it all. Calm, collective, poised. Let's just say CJ had a peace that passed all understanding. <laughs> Can you make the connection here? If you're sealed in Christ, who bears the seal of the Father, all this stuff swirling, barking, scratching. But if you're in union with Christ, we're above it all. I say we're ultimately and utterly above it all. That's why Paul tells the Colossians, you have been raised with Christ. That's our security. That's our calm in the midst of the storm. That all these truths about Jesus give us real solid reasons to believe and to trust. I guess the final question is, do you trust? Have you repented and surrendered and given up and waved the white flag and seen what the signs say, repent and believe and trust in Jesus as the great I Am who will save you, sustain you, and give you that eternal glory and hope. That's where this chapter ends. Will you two go away? Will you two quit following? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. You've given us the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father... I'm grateful, we are grateful that you are Father. And because of Jesus, we can call you Father. And, and that perfect love casts out all fear. So we pray that we would live wisely, confidently, not because of who we are, not even because of the amount of faith that we have, but because of the object of our faith. The one who is greater than Moses who brought bread down from heaven, walked on and above and quieted the waters in the storm and will change our hearts to live in a broken, terrifying world with a peace that passes all understanding. May your peace be on us, individually and corporately, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Thank you.
got a couple of last-minute blessings, okay? First, our brother, June Cho, is going to come and sing Amazing Grace. Are we still... Okay, we had a special request. June's been with the Grissets and us for about a month. And uh, it's been a blessing to get to know him, have some meals with him, be taught by him. June's going to share Amazing Grace with us, and then Todd Hanley's going to come and make an announcement and close us in prayer. June, you're at home here, brother. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm singing praise song uh, in Korean. Please stand. Todd's going to invite you to something and close us in prayer. Don't forget the Super Bowl uh, watch party tonight at 6 in the youth space. Pizza and a lot of wings. If you like wings, whether or not you like football, if you like wings, show up tonight. Okay, 6 o'clock. Okay, thank you for that. How great thou art. I like that. Um, just want to invite everybody that wants to come to uh, come out. We've got uh, spaghetti and lasagna and garlic bread and desserts. And this is a d donation dinner for a trip that um, myself and um, James Kingston are going on to Nicaragua here in the first part of March. And a lot of you have probably seen the, the pictures from from James and Terry's, and I think Neil went last time uh, to Nicaragua. Nicaragua is the, I believe I'm speaking correctly, is the second poorest country in our hemisphere. And where we're going, we'll drive to where the pretty much the road ends, and then we'll get in canoes and go down the river in canoes to these villages. And it's almost like going back 100 years in time. Um, but in the past, our church and others have contributed to building a school in one of these villages, and we're going to visit that village and take them some, some building materials, some supplies to help uh, renovate and, and fix up some things in that school, including the roof. But we're also going to provide some school supplies for the kids there. Um, the way that villages get schools down there is, is um, if, if the village will build the school, then the government will supply a teacher to come and staff it. So. Um, from the generosity of this church and others in the past, those schools have been built. We're, we're going to go back and, 
and give them some supplies and help them with some other things that, that they need. But I hope that you'll, um, even if you can't stay, we've got, we can, you can get a to-go plate and take it with you. But um, just pray for us in the coming weeks as we get ready to go down there that, that uh, God will just, just touch the hearts and minds of these people before we get there and when we're there and just pray for us to help us to see uh, these people as God sees them and to recognize the needs that they may have and, and do the things that we can do to help them while we're there and then come back and, and maybe uh, do even more. So let's pray. God, I just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for just an opportunity to be in your house, Lord, and to hear your word just, just broken up and explained to us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you've done through your son Jesus, Lord, that, uh, that you sent him to save us all, Lord, and we can't understand why you would do that for, for people like me. Lord, but I just thank you for that. Lord, um, again, I just pray that you would be with us, not only as we go and get ready for this mission trip, Lord, but I pray that you would just be with us as we go throughout this week, Lord, that you would help us to to see people as you see them and to be your hands and your feet wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you all.